Welcome to the Keto Lifestyle Podcast hosted by nutritional coach Jessica Tai, where we are dedicated to promoting health and overall well-being through nutrition, specifically the ketogenic diet. We will provide you with all the latest science in nutrition, interviews with experts in the health and wellness field, and answer all your burning questions so you can find optimal health. This podcast is not intended to be used as medical advice and is to be used for informational purposes only. Please contact your doctor with any and all medical questions. Now here's Jessica. Well, hello there, everybody. So exciting today. Um, we are recording our episode on the day it's being released. So um, the good news about that is last week, I didn't record the episode until two days after it was supposed to be released because of my voice. So I'm excited that this week I'm actually recording it on the day that it's going to go out. I like to get them done a little bit early, but hey, at least it's getting done and it'll get out there today pending any kind of uh, setbacks or holdups that I don't foresee right now. So anyway, so how are you all doing? I am good here. I am... Sad to report that Derek is not with me today. I know it's, I have so much more fun when I can do the podcast with him or if I'm interviewing a guest, but um, don't always have the ability to do that. So, <clears throat> so I'm on my own today, but I have some fun topics I think today to talk with you guys about. Um, a couple of things just to let you know what we have coming up is I have some listener questions about. Um, kids and keto and and how to cook for them and some good swaps and things. And we've definitely touched on that topic a few times on this podcast, but I'm going to go ahead and just run through some of those things today as well. I'm going to talk to you guys a little bit about um, some good swaps for the upcoming holiday meals. So if you uh, are looking for some swaps for Thanksgiving, maybe you celebrate uh, Christmas or Hanukkah or, you know, we're a Christmas celebrating family here. So we always think about like the big Christmas meal and, um, and what we're going to eat with that. And so anyway, I just want to give you guys a few like ideas and swaps and tips, and I'll put a bunch of recipes, uh, links to recipes in the show notes. And if I can figure out a way to do it, I will try and get it on my website as well. So I will, I'll try to see if I can figure that out. But anyway, I'm going to give you some of those swaps today so you can see how easy that can be. And then I'm also going to talk a little bit about, I had a listener, um, well, two listener questions, listener questions about uh, fingernail ridges. They are suffering from these ridges in their fingernails and want to know what in the world is causing that. So I have some answers for you and I want to talk to you a little bit about that. And then another listener question about salt and uh, taking in salt. Is it good for us? Is it bad for us? What should we, you know, why do we need it? Why should we avoid it? So I'm going to talk a little bit about that too. So it should be a pretty fun episode. So real quick before we get started, I'll just uh, let you all know that kind of what our week has been like here. Uh, really, it's been kind of a low-key week, not a whole lot going on. We had a nice relaxing weekend, really, with the kids. We don't do a lot of relaxing around here. It seems like we're always really super busy, but we had a um, pretty chill weekend overall. 
and it has been um, a great week so far. And I feel like there's something that I should be telling you guys about, but I can't put my finger on it. I don't know what it was. I do have one thing I want to say on my Instagram. Okay, let me just put this out there. I am the worst person on the planet for keeping up with all of my messages, emails, private messages, you know, whatever. I don't even know what you call all these things. I try to be, uh, you know, I still think in my head that I'm young and hip and cool, but I think that this whole, like the, all the social media stuff and just this technology era is really kind of passing me up and I'm trying to keep up with it, but I have a really hard time. And my teenage kids uh, let me know frequently how far behind I actually am. So even when I feel like I'm doing pretty good, they remind me that I'm not and they laugh at me and make fun of me for things that I don't understand on these social media. I know great kids, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. They are good kids. <laughs> They're just laughing at their mom for not getting this stuff. But I want to say that um, if you send me messages, um, the, the best way to get any message to me would be to email me or fill out the form on my website. The worst ways to get a message to me are Facebook and Instagram. If that's the way you send a message, that's fine. I still appreciate the message, but please accept my apology now in advance if you never hear from me <laughs> in regards to those messages. Number one, I get dozens of them in all the time, so it's really hard for me to keep up with them. But number two, I am just the worst at keeping up, not only keeping up with them, but knowing what to do with them. So someone sent me an Instagram message I don't even know. It was probably a month ago. So if you if you're listening and you sent me an Instagram message like a month ago or maybe somewhere around that time frame and asked me a question, it was a fairly simple question and I just can't even remember what it was. I pulled it up on my phone. I was sitting at my daughter's ballet uh, classes and I'm sitting there in the lobby waiting on her. And so I pull it up on my phone. I usually try to go through and see if there's any messages that I hadn't responded to or any notes I need to take. And I kind of try to keep a to-do list going when I'm, when I'm sitting there, things I need to get back to. And I pulled this message up. I pulled several, like probably six messages up on Instagram that afternoon. And for whatever reason, I don't even know how I did it. Somehow I deleted this one Instagram message and I could not figure out how to get it back. So... <laughs> If you are a person that sent me a message on Instagram and it was just some fairly simple question, it was a straight up question, and I am so sorry, I cannot remember what it said, um, and you never got a response from me, please reach back out to me. You can, and let me know that it was you if you do reach back out to me, because I've literally been having sleepless nights over this. <laughs> like it bothers me because I don't want you guys to think that I am ignoring you or just not wanting to get back with you. If I don't, address you directly, then I typically will address you on the show at some point. But I know like with my Facebook messages, when you send a message, there is an automated, automatic, um, an automated response that goes out to let you know that I did get the email and that if it's something or the message and that if it's something that I can address on the show, I will just to kind of let you know that I don't go in and, and address all of the Facebook messages that I get. I, there's literally not enough hours in the day to do that. But I do um, just at least want you to know that that it came in and it was received into my messages. And I do go through those and read those. And if it's if I am able to respond to you, I will quickly. Otherwise, I will just address it on the show. 
But anyway, I, I just feel really bad about the Instagram message that I deleted. And pretty much as far as I know, I have responded to every Instagram message, at least something briefly. So again, if that was you that sent that, please get in touch with me. Maybe send me an email or go on my on my website, jessicatai.com, and just send me a message through the, the message forum that gets to me via my email. So that's an easy way for me to find those. Just let me know that it was you and what your question was so I can stop worrying about this. <laughs> I would appreciate it. Okay, so that's really all I wanted to um, start the episode off with, I guess. Um, just not a lot to talk about without Derek here. I'm kind of, at a, I feel at a loss without him here to talk with me. So I guess what we'll do is just kind of get started on the podcast, okay? Okay, so let's just start off with the first listener question that I'm going to address today, and that is fingernail ridges. So I had Kelsey wrote in. Um, this was a couple of weeks ago, I think, and she had wrote in, uh, written in, sorry, about she has ridges in her fingernails, and I actually do not have this in front of me. I don't know why I didn't print off her message, but anyway, she said that she has ridges in her fingernails, and she is concerned about what they mean and um, and what's going on with them, and she didn't notice them prior to her ketogenic diet, so she wondered if perhaps it has something to do with a ketogenic diet. Okay, so um, I really can't answer that if it has something to do with the ketogenic diet or not. Um, I think oftentimes when we start something new, like we start a new diet or you know a new way of eating, some kind of new protocol, and then we see something, we automatically assume that, oh my gosh, that must be because I just started this new diet. Oftentimes it's just coincidence or you just didn't notice it before and maybe you're not, now you're like hyper aware. You know, if you go get a new car and you never really noticed that car on the road very often and now that you have that type of car, you see it everywhere. Have you ever noticed that happen? I remember the first time we bought a Jeep Wrangler not, I mean, now they really truly are everywhere, but I remember the first time we bought a Jeep Wrangler, which was back in the nineties. And we were so excited with like, oh, we just love these Jeeps. We just don't see them all that much. I'm telling you, the day that I got that Jeep, I probably passed like 30 of them on the road. And I was like, what is going on? So I think you just become hyper aware of things when you have like a change or something like that happens. Like it like turns on the signal in your brain that now you like are running everything through that filter. So I kind of, I think a lot of times when we start a new way of life, a new diet, a new, whatever you want to say, whatever you want to call it, get a new car, buy a new house, get a new dog, whatever it is, we start kind of, uh, we kind of become hypersensitive to that. So I think the fingernail ridges, I don't think that it necessarily is because of a ketogenic diet. However, having said that, um, what typically causes fingernail ridges um, often are, are, um, are mineral deficiencies in your diet. So if you, so let's, so to say that it's caused by a ketogenic diet, I don't think that that's probably fair, but I don't think that you could necessarily say it's not caused by your ketogenic diet because in general, mineral deficiencies are caused by your diet. So, um, one thing that I could definitely see being an issue with going ketogenic and having, um, potentially having some mineral deficiencies specifically once you go ketogenic is because you are 
um, if you are not digesting your food properly, if your digestive processes are not optimal, then you will not be absorbing minerals and nutrients and vitamins, you know, all, all those nutrients, your vitamins, your minerals, your macronutrients, all of that. You're not going to be um, absorbing all of those properly. So, and I think when you go ketogenic, because you are eating things that are really like carbohydrates are very, very quick to burn through your system. You break those down fairly easily compared to fats and proteins. So I think that you may not notice so many things uh, with your digestion, maybe if you are a sugar burner and you're eating those types of foods. But when you switch over to being ketogenic, number one, you really are going to feel so much better because once you switch over to being a fat burner, you really just feel better. It's a cleaner burning fuel. You know, you're more satiated. You're not thinking about food all the time. You don't have the, the blood sugar swings and the ups and downs. So um, I know for me, for sure, when I moved to a more whole foods diet from a kind of typical standard American diet, I definitely became more sensitive to how foods made me feel. And when I went paleo and then ketogenic, it even magnified it more each step. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So I think that probably with a, with a ketogenic diet, you may start noticing that you are just not, you may not be digesting foods properly. And that's really not uncommon, especially in today's world. Uh, we talked about this a little bit in the episode with Dr. Gretchen Dyer, the functional medicine practitioner that I had on, where she talked a lot about your parasympathetic and your sympathetic um, nervous systems. And what happens is we spend in general, most of us across the board spend the majority of our time in a sympathetic state, and that is our fight or flight. So we cannot properly digest food if we are eating during when we are in that sympathetic state. We need to be in a parasympathetic mode in order to be properly digesting just to just to signal, get the right signals to, you know, from our brain to our digestive tracts. We we have to be able to to do that in the parasympathetic mode. So if we are sympathetic all the time, we're not going to be digesting food properly. And that becomes very problematic when our main diet consists of fat and protein. So, um, so that can be a, a, a big problem with actually being able to absorb all the nutrients that you need from your food if you're not digesting it properly. And you're just, especially with fat, fat can be, you know, it can be real easy for your body to just not be able to digest the fats properly. And it'll just push those right on through and you're not pulling any of the needed nutrients out of that. So when you're getting the fingernail ridges, often the two deficiencies that most often cause that is iron deficiency and zinc deficiency. So a zinc deficiency, which is interesting because if you think about the a ketogenic diet, those foods are all going to be in the ketogenic diet, the top foods that are going to give you the zinc and the iron. So it's kind of backwards like you would think wow maybe you know that's so weird but you know we talked we've talked about fortified foods on here as well before and most of the packaged foods and the grain the packaged grains and processed grain foods that you buy they are fortified with iron and zinc because they're completely devoid of any of those nutrients so they do fortify them that way so that is possible that you that 
you were getting more iron and zinc potentially when you were eating those foods, even though you cannot always absorb all of the forms of those of that that they put into those foods, you may be absorbing enough because you really don't need that much iron or that much zinc. Um, as a matter of fact, iron, we've talked about this before on the podcast as well. Uh, men actually have a actually have a higher chance of being too high in iron than too low in iron. So that's actually something that you have to be careful about as a man. And I I think I'd given you guys the tip before that if you are a man, I would suggest that you go and get blood drawn um, every so often. And the reason for that is the only way that we can deplete our iron stores and be able to kind of, kind of turn those over and get rid of that the, the iron stores that have been in our body for a while is to um, bleed. Basically, we have to be able to get rid of some of that blood. And for women, it's not a problem if we are still having a menstru- you know menstruation. We're still having a, a menstrual cycle. It's not an issue for us. We lose plenty of iron every time you know that time of month. Every time we have menstruation, so. That isn't an issue for women, but for men who don't have that regular bleeding, going and getting blood drawn would be a good way to kind of help you be able to mitigate the potential of an iron overload. So, and then they also do a test prior to you giving blood. So women as well, if you went to give blood and they will do this um, required testing before they allow you to do that, if you are low in iron, they will tell you. Um, they, they'll tell you they can't take your blood and that you're low in iron. So that's another good way to kind of find that out and that you don't have to go pay to get, you know, to get a, a ferritin test. So, so anyway, iron is one. And, and these are for general, generally speaking, these are the lines that are horizontal in your nails. If you've ever had the indention, which I have had this, um, actually, I mean, I've had this happen numerous times, um, over my life that I can remember and think about. And then I will, you know, and then I'm like, oh man, okay, I guess I need to get back to supplementation here. But um, if you are anemic, often you'll get those those horizontal lines or indentions in the middle of your nail bed. And so that is kind of a telltale sign. It can also mean that you are zinc deficient. So zinc is actually, I, I believe currently, it's still known as the number one um deficiency in America as, as the, the number one mineral deficiency. So, and zinc is, we, I mean, we really need it for a ton of different processes in our body. It's really important. And we only need a very small amount every day. Like we really don't need much, but it's so important for our immunity. So especially this time of year, really want to make sure that you, that you have a good balance of zinc because it's so good for immunity. But, um, but so even though we need just a little bit of zinc, just a small deficiency of zinc can also cause some significant issues. And often they show up like things, you know, you'll, you'll get the warning signs like in your, in your nail beds. It could also affect your hair. You could be, you could be losing hair or have kind of drab thinning hair. That's also could be a form of a zinc deficiency. So for men, men need about 11 milligrams a day of zinc and then females need about nine milligrams a day. So it's not much at all. It's really, really, um, really, really small. So there's a lot of foods that contain 
um, zinc, but the majority of them are animal foods. So if you are vegan or vegetarian, it's, it is really hard to get enough zinc. And that's actually, that's the highest risk for, for zinc deficiencies as far as dietary, um, as far as a dietary set is, is a vegans and vegetarians. They have a hard time being able to get that. And if you suffer from any kind of, of, uh, let's see, like digestive issues or stomach problems like leaky gut or um, IBS or if you have SIBO or Crohn's or celiac, anything like that, those can also be um, really, it can also have have an impact on your zinc and make it can become a very problematic thing for you because again, it comes down to being able to absorb these nutrients that you need and so those types of things will keep you from being able to absorb. Like if you have SIBO or IBS, you're, you're going to be really deficient in a lot of nutrients because you're, you're just not absorbing those things. But just like we were talking about, just the inability to digest your food properly, if you're not producing the right amount of hydrochloric acid, um, if you've not got you know good digestive enzyme it, enzymes in there that are helping you break down your food, you're not absorbing that stuff. So you're going to be deficient in these things. So some of the symptoms, like kind of the most common symptoms that are associated with zinc would be like if you have a change in your appetite and especially if you are craving very salty or very sweet foods. So we'll get into salt in a minute, but one thing that a lot of people don't know is that often when you crave sweets, it's actually a salt deficiency. So, um, so anyway, so changes in appetite, including a, um, salty or sweet cravings, um, changes in your ability to taste or smell. If you notice that things just don't taste right to you, or you're not able to smell things very well, um, hair loss, like I just said, if you're having digestive issues again, because you're not going to be absorbing those things, if you are chronically fatigued. So if you're just feeling super tired all the time and run down, and again, most of these across the board are also going to be true for um, for iron um, as well. So you're going to have both of those things. Let's see, infertility and hormonal problems. So especially if you're noticing that you have really bad PMS symptoms or just really hard time around your period in general, lots of cramping and pain and bloating and heavy periods, um, very moody, all of those things can be due to that. And if you have low immunity, like you're just, it seems like everything that comes down the pike, you get it. You know, every time somebody sneeze, sneezes, then you just know you're going to end up with that cold. That can be a sign. Like you sh it shouldn't be that easy for you to get sick and, and zinc is super immune boosting. So if you are low in zinc, it's going to make those things, it's going to make you more susceptible. So, and then if you notice like the inability to heal wounds or skin infections or irritations, so um, you need zinc to be able to do those, to be able to do that. So if you're having a hard time healing, then that could also be a major uh, a sign that you're having issues with that. So um, zinc is just so important in so many processes in our body. So we need to make sure we get this right. But the the high, a lot of the foods that are high in zinc are lamb, grass-fed beef, cashews, pumpkin seeds, chicken, turkey, eggs, salmon, you know, all those kinds of things. Those are those are high. But when we say high, even like grass-fed beef for like a three-ounce 
um, serving of grass-fed beef that's like about the size of your fist, that's only 2.6 milligrams of zinc. So even though for a woman you only need nine and a man you only need 11 a day, you can see that that if you're not eating a, you know, a good amount of foods that are high in zinc, it's going to be a little bit hard to get that unless you eat you have to eat three ounces of grass-fed beef for three meals a day, and then you're gonna have to throw something else in there like a like a quarter cup of cashews or something to be able to get all the zinc you need. I know f- me for one, I mean, I, I may not eat any kind of meat like that except one meal a day. Um, that's usually dinner. And then I usually only eat maybe one other meal a day, and I'm probably just having like a big salad or maybe I'm having some eggs, which eggs are good, ish. I mean, one egg is like a half, uh, probably about a half a milligram of zinc. So think about how many eggs you have to eat to make up that difference. Like I'm not eating that many eggs a day. So, and even salmon is only half a milligram for a three ounce serving of salmon. So you've got it. And there is, um, there is zinc in, in, um, dairy products. So you're definitely going to get the most bang for your buck out of raw milk. And, you know, like raw uh, yogurt or kefir, something like that would be good, but you're still not getting a ton that way. So you really have to be pretty focused to be able to get enough zinc in your diet. So it's not surprising that it's so low in so many people. And, you know, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of, of plant items that are high in zinc. Um, chickpeas or garbanzo beans, they have a decent amount of of um, zinc in them. And then you can do like I said, cashews and the pumpkin seeds and mushrooms, but really everything else is animal products. So it's really hard if you're vegan or vegetarian to get enough zinc. So you definitely have to watch that. So supplementing with a zinc supplement is not a bad deal, not a bad idea. I do it myself so that I can make sure that I'm getting enough. Now, one caveat to zinc supplementation and to making sure you're getting enough zinc is that if you have too much zinc, you will become deficient in copper. So it, you, and you need copper. So without getting into too many of the nuances as to why you need to worry about that, let's just suffice it to say that if you're taking zinc, I would not take more than like, say maybe three to five milligrams a day in a supplement form. And if you take more than that in a supplement form, then you need to take it with copper to make sure that you're not having too much zinc and then depleting copper because then you're going to have a whole nother problem on your hands. So for me, I have been taking the Bulletproof uh, Labs zinc with copper um, supplement, and I like this one a lot. It has actually 15 milligrams of zinc, but you know, I feel like it's fine. I mean, you, you can take a little bit more than what the, um, recommended daily allowances for sure. I mean, there's a lot of things that are the RDA recommendations that I feel like really you could use a little bit more than what they're recommending. So I do take this one. It's a 15 milligram. Um, I take it one and it's as a zinc or a tape. That's also important to make sure you're taking the right zinc. And I should have had like a list here that I could tell you which, which the best, cause there's so many different um, types of zinc, just like so many of these that like, like magnesium and all these, di- all these different 
sources of these minerals and some of them are just pretty much not absorbable by your body. So this uh, zinc orotate is a very good absorbable form. So if you're looking for a good zinc supplement, the Bulletproof Labs, the zinc with copper, it is 15 milligrams of zinc and two milligrams of copper, and it's a copper orotate as well. So, and those are higher than the recommended daily allowances, but not in a bad way. It's not higher like you're overdosing. It's just a little bit more than what they recommend. Okay, so that should help a lot with fingernail ridges um, that, sh that Kelsey was asking about. Now, there are other things that could definitely be um, causing fingernail ridges that aren't as common, but they definitely could be. I mean, if you have, um, have had, if you have thyroid disease, you could be getting horizontal ridges in your nails. If you have syphilis, that could cause horizontal ridging in your nails. And then probably a, a much more common, and these are called, these horizontal lines or ridges, they're commonly called Bose lines, B-E-A-U-S, Bose lines. So, if you have those on every nail on your hand, that's when you need, so onto all 20 nails, that's when you, you need like all of your hands, you're all 10 on your hands, all 10 on your feet. Um, it, even if I had it on, on my 10 fingernails, I would probably be, be um, real curious as to what's going on. Because if you've just got a mineral deficiency, you're just not, you're gonna have just a few of your nails will be like that, and maybe your nails will be, brittle or, or weak, but if you've got it on every nail or even all 10 fingernails, I would start thinking about some of these other issues and it would probably be a good idea to go in and see your doctor and they can check for that. So um, again, thyroid disease, syphilis, those are big, but another very common one that we're seeing more and more now is diabetes. So type two or type one, but if you have not noticed um, anything like this on your nails in the past, and all of a sudden you're noticing that you're getting these on your nails and you're seeing them on all 10 nails, then I would definitely start thinking about, um, you know, suspecting possibly a kidney disease, diabetes, something like that. Um, and again, I would go have my doctor take a look and check that out, run some tests, see if you've got anything like that, because you could for sure be having some, some real metabolic dysregulation that is leading you down the road toward diabetes. If you think that that could possibly be you and that you know that you have had a really super high intake of carbohydrates, it doesn't even have to be sugar, just carbs in general, um, then you might want to get checked for that to see where your blood sugar, um, is and kind of check for that. See if, um, see if you've got any insulin, um, resistance going on and, and potentially on your way to, to type two diabetes. Okay. So that's it for, I think that's all I wanted to talk about for the nail ridges. So hopefully that helps. And I don't know if I gave you the daily recommended, um, allowances for the iron men is eight, milligrams and women is 18 milligrams for iron. Again, women can handle a lot more because we do bleed. So that, um, will lessen that iron load. And so, um, but that often makes women deficient in iron because we're often not had, we're not getting enough iron back into our diet or we're just not absorbing enough of that iron, even though meat, animal meat sources are the number one source of that, often we're just not absorbing enough of it. So, um, so supplementing with iron is not a bad deal. And like I said, you can go get tested 
before you give blood to see that your iron levels are good or not. Okay, so let's move on. So I had another, um, let's see, let's, you know what, let's talk about salt. <clears throat> so I had a listener that sent me a message. Again, I did not print out this message. Man, I just do not have it together when Derek's not here. <laughs> but um, that sent me a message asking about salt. So the question was, she had originally asked me about, about um, electrolytes and supplementing electrolytes as she was going ketogenic. And she had noticed that she was having all these cramps and stuff like this. So I'd given her some tips. And then she had written back and said, well, I, my doctor told me that I need to watch my salt intake and because of hypertension. So what am I supposed to do? Do I still need to supplement to make sure that I'm getting, you know, that I'm, I have good electrolyte balance. So this can be a really confusing, um, subject and this can be very polarizing. I, you know, there's people on both sides of this that are like, absolutely. You have to watch your salt in intake, keep it low because you do not want hypertension and you know, it's going to cause this high blood pressure and it's going to lead to heart disease. And you're going to have all these issues. So let me just start off by telling you kind of going down a, a little bit of a kind of a little bit of a information that I give when I, when I've done seminars with people to kind of talk about this. This is one of the, I go over a little exercise that we call fact or myth. And one of the things that we talk about is salt because there's so many myths out there about salt. So the question is, is salt good? Is salt, um, salt is bad for you and you need to avoid salt. And in this exercise that we do in my seminars, that is a myth. And the reason we talk about it about it being a myth is that for one, in April of 2011, the American Journal of Hypertension found that after doing a meta-analysis, so a meta-analysis means that a group of scientists or researchers reviewed studies that had already been completed, and so then they compiled and compared the results from a group of studies. So in this particular um, meta-analysis, it was of seven studies compromising of more, of more than 6,200 adults that cutting salt does not reduce the risk of heart attack, stroke, blood pressure, or death. Okay. So that's huge. That was in April of 2011. They did that meta-analysis. Then in May of the same year, a group of European researchers published findings to the Journal of, Amer to the Journal of American Medical Association that less salt, that the less salt subjects excreted in their urine was an excellent measure of prior consumption, the greater their risk of dying from heart disease. Okay. So that means that if they did this study of people that they measured their urine and if they had less excreted salt in their urine, then they had a greater risk of dying from heart disease. So that's a pretty good measure that they had less salt intake to begin with because they're not excreting as much salt because your body will just get rid of it. Whatever it doesn't need, it gets rid of. Your body's actually pretty amazing at being able to regulate salt intake. Um, it We need salt. We're actually very salty people on the inside and we need salt. It's very, very important for us. And we used to get plenty of salt when we would eat nose to tail, which is just a lost form of eating anymore. But we would eat the entire animal that we would kill. We would, we would eat that whole animal, everything, connective tissue that includes, you know, blood and, 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 um, uh, all the connective tissues. And we would, we would boil the bones and we would, you know, use that in broth and 
we would we just would eat the whole animal. Well, in an animal, for instance, there there's a lot of salt. And then if we were storing food or storing that animal and that meat, we would actually use salt to preserve that animal. So then we would have more salt. And nobody was having issues with hypertension and all these things, high blood pressure until quite recently, heart disease, all of those things in the last, you know, 40, 50 years. So this was never a problem before, and we ate salt to our heart's content. So only recently has salt really been demonized and, and been thrown, you know, been pushed over the edge as being this bad mineral for us. As a matter of fact, so most people would just say like, that's crazy. Like I've heard my whole life that salt's bad for me, or at least in the last, you know, 40 years. So the, the study that kind of set all of this off was in 1970. There was a researcher named Lewis Dahl, and he stated, quote, that he had unequivocally, that he had unequivocal evidence that salt and sodium causes hypertension, end quote. So what was this unequivocal proof that he was basing this on? He had induced high blood pressure in rats by feeding them the human equivalent of 500 grams of sodium per day. So just to give you an idea of, to put that in perspective, the average American today consumes 3.4 grams of sodium. Okay, so he was force feeding rats, these tiny little animals, 500 grams of salt a day, and then saying that because they got hypertension from that, that that proves that we'll get hypertension or high blood pressure if we eat too much. And so there's no doubt that salt today is you know, definitely there, there can cause some problems, but it all comes down to the type of salt that you're eating. So I know people in my family, for instance, that have been told that they have high blood pressure and so they need to stay away from salt, but those same people are eating table salt, like your iodized Morton's salt that you buy in the grocery store. That's not real salt. It is a far cry from the actual minerals that our ancestors would have used and that and that we need that our bodies are needing that they're looking for. So most of any kind of health problems that are associated with sodium are going to be associated with Morton's table salt or whatever type of table salt that, salt that you're using because every cell in our body actually needs every cell needs salt to function as it should. Like we cannot if we don't have enough healthy salt in our diet then we're not going to be able to function properly. Our salts aren't going to be able to function properly. And as a matter of fact, a low salt has been has been linked to diabetes, has been actually linked to hypertension, um, has been linked to heart disease. Like our bodies need salt and we need a lot more salt than we think we need. So um, I know that it's, it feels like everything that's associated with salt is it just refers to chronically elevated blood pressure, but that is just not... It's, that's not fair. That's, it's really not true. So let's talk about table salt and why table salt is so different than other mineral salt that we should be using, which we'll talk about in a second. So first of all, table salt is bleached. So they actually take salt that should be good for us to be eating and they bleach it. So, you know, obviously table salt, if you've ever noticed, is completely um, white and uniform and, you know, there's no color variances in the salt at all. But if you look at any natural type of salt, like any sea salt or Celtic salt or anything like that, they're all, um, 
not uniform color at all. I mean, you may have a very light pink or a very bright pink, or you may have um, browns and grays and black and all those, every color in between. So a normal, like natural sea salt has potassium, phosphorus, calcium, iron, iodine, iodine, sorry, manganese and zinc. So your average table salt is basically sodium and chloride. So they have essentially completely stripped it of anything that it should have in it. And then they add iodine back in it because they iodize it because we need iodine. Because the whole reason that um, table salt, iodized table salt was even invented was um, back in the 20s, we had an epidemic of, of goiters, which goiters is an enlarged thyroid gland. So we're not going to get into all of the... Um, all of the uh, reasons for this, but um, but that's what happened. So we had an iodine deficiency, and so they started putting this, making this iodized salt, so that you could um, have this. So why is it so important to get salt? Well, it is super important that we get lots of salt. So I told you about that 2011 study that involved like the 6,200. Um, this meta-analysis, it was like 6,200 people, um, and the so they, um, in this, in this study, they also had come up with some, um, other reasons why natural salt is critical for a range of health reasons. So number one, they said salt makes up a major part of our blood plasma, lymphatic fluid, and the extracellular fluid. So like I said, your, your body needs salt to be able to maintain cells and, and build, um, it helps to transport nutrients through your cell walls. It supports healthy adrenal function and the right kind of salt maintains and regulates blood pressure. So instead of actually giving you hypertension, it actually helps you to maintain blood pressure. So when you get salt, um, when your salt gets too low, you can actually, it can actually backfire and it can cause you to have hypertension. And, um, so high blood pressure, it can cause like I said, it can cause diabetes. Actually having low salt intake, if you don't have enough salt in your diet, it can actually cause you to crave sugar and sweets. So um, that's super important to know that. And especially when so many people are suffering with these you know, sugar and sweet addictions, and they're trying to figure out why they're so addicted to these things. And then they may also simultaneously be trying to avoid salt because they think that salt is a is an issue and you need to stay away from that. So to learn more about salt, I would highly recommend a book called The Salt Fix. So um, I am probably going to butcher his name, his name, but it's Dr. James DiNicolantonio. So I've heard him on a couple of podcasts. I listened to him recently on a Rob Wolf podcast, and I had heard him on, I don't remember the other one I heard him on. I've heard him at least two times, and he is just really great. Um, he has some really great information. He's been really studying this and he's just really kind of just dove into this headlong about um, all of this. So he's actually a cardiovascular research science scientist in Kansas, Kansas City, Missouri, it looks like. So um, he focuses his research on nutrition and cardiovascular health. And he has 
co-authored or authored over 100 publications in medical literature. So he is got a lot of information on this, and, and that book is, is amazing. It's an easy book to read. It makes a lot of sense. But one of the things that he says is that the biggest dilemma with people that are being forced to, to restrict their salt intake is that it's just causing all this needless suffering because, like I said, it is it is a nutrient that our body needs. It is actually an essential micronutrient for our bodies. So, um, and there are so many different like medication and disease states and things like this that need us to actually, we actually need more salt. So not only are we not taking in enough, but then there's lots of these other indicators that we need more than we're even bringing in. And so instead of taking in salt that we need and, and letting our bodies regulate it, we're trying to keep salt out of our diets because it's been so demonized. Another thing that he talks about is that specifically with salt in processed foods is that it's not the salt that's harmful, but it's the other ingredients that are with that salt in those foods. So like the refined sugar, artificial sweeteners, flour, flavoring agents, coloring, colorants, blah, 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 all that stuff, that in that it, it actually drives our body to consume around so our bodies need about eight to ten grams of salt per day is actually what we need even though the average american is only bringing in 3.4 grams of salt per day um, this researcher this doctor says eight to ten grams is actually what we need but if processed foods are lower in salt then we likely end up eating more of them because our body craves more of that salt so it's kind of one of those things that these manufacturers put a little bit in, but not enough. And so then we eat some, but then our bodies go, whoa, whoa, I need, I need more salt. So I'm going to have to eat more of that and more of that and more of that. And it's just one of those things that increases our drive to eat these, um, to, you know, to eat this refined food because we're not getting what we need out of it. So we think we need to get more. So in his book, he talks about how, how much salt to have. Um, if you are, someone that exercises a lot, how much salt you need to have prior to exercising for your optimal performance, um, the types of salt you should be eating, all of those types of things. And really um, with the ketogenic diet, I mean, what goes better with ketogenic lifestyle than salt? I know for me personally, I put salt on everything and I love it. I've always been a huge lover of salt, which I've never had high blood pressure by the way, but I most, now when I was younger, of course, you know, we didn't know all these things. We, of course, we ate the Morton's table salt, but when I got married and I got married very young, so, um, for the majority of my life now, I have actually been consuming table salt or Redmond's real salt or another version of some salt other than the iodized salt. Um, my husband and I have been married. It'll be 21 years this year. I can't even believe that. Next month, 21 years. But um, so for 21 years, we've been eating these other types of salts. Now, for a long time, I have been quite the advocate of Himalayan pink sea salt. And I still think that Himalayan pink sea salt is not bad at all. So if that's what you're eating, that's fine. Um, however, I do think that there is a much superior salt and I have been using this Redmond's real salt for years, but I went off of it for a while. Like I just switched over to the Himalayan pink sea salt for a long time and just recently have gone back to the Redmond's real salt after actually after this salt fix book and realizing that, man, I really was doing much better before. So just to give you a few 
kind of um, tips about the different types of salt you can use. So the Redmond's Real Salt is actually, it is um, harvested or mined out of Redmond, Utah. So, and it is from an ancient seabed. So it's, um, so it's, that's different than like the, like a, a Celtic or Celtic. I'm not sure. I've always called it Celtic. Maybe it's Celtic, but uh, a Celtic sea salt is, a, is also a, a sea salt. It's a great salt, but it is harvested from current oceans. So even though it's done very well and they do harvest it by hand and it's not processed and, you know, it has all these in, important trace minerals that you need. The biggest issue with like a, a Celtic sea salt is that the current oceans have so many environmental issues. So there's mercury and lead and plastics and petroleum and all these toxins that are in these in our our current oceans that we don't have in these ancient seabeds. So so that's one of the big differences with a Celtic sea salt. Now a Himalayan pink sea salt, those are ancient seabeds. So those are harvested from ancient seabeds. So you're avoiding any of those kind of modern toxins, but um, you are not having, they do have a full spectrum of minerals, but they, the, one of the issues that Dr. James and the salt fix talks about, and I've heard him talk about on these podcasts, the issues with the pink Himalayan sea salt is that the um, amounts of these minerals vary widely from batch to batch. So you might have a very small trace amount of iodine in one batch of this Himalayan sea salt, and then you have a very high level of iodine in another batch. So that can also be problematic because we really have to be careful with the iodine balance where the difference with the Redmond sea salt is it's very consistent. Now he's tested all of these salts and, and you know spent a great deal of time doing these. And so he says with the Redmond real salt, it stays very consistent across the board and he's not seeing these fluctuations in these micronutrients. So really important for that. So all so across the board, there's no additives. All three of those salts are unrefined, which is very different from a table salt, which is completely refined and has all kinds of additives. Um, but then there, the Redmond real salt is a single source that of this ancient ocean where Himalayan can come from all types of different sources of ancient ocean. And then, of course, the, the Celtic is from, you know, current ocean beds. So it's all over the place as well. Um, and then the Redmond sea salt, like I said, it's in Redmond, Utah. It's why it's called Redmond. And so it's country of origin is here in the U S so a Himalayan salt, it comes from Pakistan and the Celtic salt, it's a gray salt. And that comes from France. So that kind of gives you an idea and, you know, really ounce for ounce, the Redmond real salt is the least expensive way to go as well. So I have switched back over to that. You can get it on Amazon. I bought the coarse uh, salt. And then I, I like to put my salt in a grinder and grind it fresh. And I have really not noticed a difference in the taste at all of the Redmond salt. So if you're kind of concerned about that, and I've always thought Himalayan salt tasted really good. So, um, no, had no complaints there, but I've really not noticed a, a difference in the taste with, with this. So I think that's good. Another couple of points I want to touch on real quick. If you're not convinced that you shouldn't be eating table salt, is that table salt, not only do they bleach it, so you're getting just you know a good little dose of bleach every time you sprinkle your food with table salt, which 
you know, if you don't think that's a problem, <laughs> then let me also tell you that they have taken, you know, most of the minerals are out of that salt now because of how processed it is. And then they have to add back in the iodine. They've iodized it because they've taken everything out. But in addition to that, they have anti-caking agents that have been added to it because they've broken it down and into this such this fine bleached powder and and then they have to put anti-caking agents in it so it doesn't stick together and you know if it gets any kind of moisture or anything it'll all stick together and you'll notice that with a sea salt or a celtic salt they that doesn't happen or the redmond's real salt and then in addition if you look at the back of your morton's if you use morton's uh table salt there they actually add sugar to that salt don't ask why i have no idea it, it just makes, I don't even understand that. It makes no sense to me, but they actually add sugar. So there's just things in the table salt you don't need. And it has been proven to um, definitely cause bloating and hypertension and all of those things because it's not real salt. So just stay away from that stuff, guys. Don't be eating that. So I hope that answers her question about um, the salt. Definitely, it is safe to take salt as an electric light, as an elect, you know, if you're worried about electrolytes and trying to make sure that you're getting a good balance of, of the electrolytes, especially if you're fasting or you're on a ketogenic diet, you typically will be low in electrolytes on a ketogenic diet because car with, um, with carbs, when you're eating carbs, um, glucose molecules are actually encased in water. So you have water, you naturally will retain water when you are a, a sugar burner. It's just what happens. The more carbs you eat, the more water you retain. So a lot of people notice when they get on the ketogenic diet, they um, will shed a lot of weight initially. And a lot of that is water weight because if you're not bringing in the carbohydrates, you're not retaining water like that. So when you shed all of that water, of course you do lose electrolytes. So it is important to supplement those electrolytes. But luckily, like if you're using a Redmond Real Salt, for instance, you're gonna get all those trace minerals you need. You just put that all over your food, don't even worry about it at all. Your body will has its own stops and it'll let you know when you've had too much salt. You have taste receptors that will say, whoa, that's too much salt, I'm done. You won't want to salt anymore. And that is your brain's way of helping your body to control how much of that you need to bring in. So um, hopefully that answers your question. That should be pretty good. Okay, so I want to move on to talk about, um, So I had a, another listener question. Um, this one was through Instagram and she had asked if we had um, some some tips for kids going keto, paleo. And we we have talked about this before in episodes in the past, but um, I told her that I would touch on it again in this episode. Um, so here is the answer to this. So she said specifically for breakfast, which we actually talked about last week, pretty much in depth about our Saturday morning breakfast. So I'm not sure if maybe she hasn't listened to that one yet or was just curious about some more um, other breakfast items that we could do. But for my kids for breakfast, every morning I get up and I make them, um, I make them scrambled eggs and bacon and sausage. I've got one son specifically that likes bacon or two sons specific, specifically that like bacon and then one that will only eat sausage. So I get up and I make them all um, eggs, bacon, sausage. And then the next round of kids is the girls. They get up and then they also eat. I've got one girl that eats everything. And then the other one that only likes, um, actually she likes it all too, <laughs> but she specifically will prefer the sausage over the bacon. So that is pretty much their breakfast every day. 
Um, other options I would say that would be good if you were looking for some other keto options, definitely leftovers. Uh, I don't eat breakfast. Rarely do I eat breakfast, but if I feel like I want breakfast, often I will eat leftovers. Like today, for instance, I actually did have some some leftovers for breakfast. So leftovers are good. Whatever you've got in, in the fridge that you had from dinner the night before or the night before that would be good. Um, maybe some full fat yogurt with some berries, I think would be fine for kids if you guys do dairy. And I don't worry about berries for me either, to be honest, as far as uh, keto is concerned, I definitely have berries, but, um, for kids, especially I'm, I, they can definitely handle the carbohydrates. Um, they're growing their kids. They're burning that off like crazy. So, um, so berries are good. Let's see the omelets. Omelets are great. And you can fill omelets with, if your kids like different vegetables, you can fill them with about any vegetable you can think of, any meat you can think of, ham, bacon, sausage, hamburger. You can put avocado in there, peppers, spinach, mushrooms, um, zucchini, peppers. I mean, there's onions. It just goes on and on and on. And then pancakes and waffles, which I talked about the uh, the Simple Mills brand that we like to use as an on-hand, easy, quick, go-to, fairly low-carb pancake and waffle mix the kids like. I do make my own, um, typically an almond-based, almond flour-based pancake waffle mix. Um, I do have another one that I make that has cream cheese in it, and then yet another one that is a blend of coconut and almond flour. I don't care to make that. It's fine. I can make any of those with no problem, but we've seen that the kids in general seem to prefer the ones that I don't make. <laughs> um, I'm sure it's because the ones that like the simple mills in the box, it is, it does have a little bit higher carb. So it probably is a little bit sweeter for them. They, it's just a better treat to them. They do t tend to come out a little bit fluffier. And honestly, Derek's usually the one making our breakfast and it's just easier for him to just pull that box out and make that real quick. Cause we were making a huge breakfast on Saturday mornings, you know, and we just pull out all the stops. We've got bacon and eggs and omelets and waffles or pancakes or cinnamon rolls and, uh, keto cinnamon rolls, of course. And then we do, you know, um, like bacon, sausage, tomatoes, avocados. Um, I mean, we just really, we'll do biscuits and gravy sometimes along with all of that. So we just do a really big, fun breakfast. So if we can make one of those things on our breakfast menu easy, just pour it out of a box. You know, you add some, I think he adds some milk or heavy whipping cream and eggs and it's in some butter and it's mixed. Okay, so some ideas for lunch. Again, leftovers. So I pack my kids' lunch every day and I will pack le le leftovers. Like if we have chili or a stew, you can pack that in a thermos. They have thermos brand, you know, thermoses that they can take those with. I have one son that loves salami roll-ups. He pretty much packs the same thing every day. It's two pieces of salami. It's a cheese stick that I break in half and put one half in, in each of the pieces of salami, roll those up, stick them on a toothpick. He has a hard boiled egg. He eats some cashews in his lunch. Um, sometimes I'll make him like a little trail mix of like some cashews, some peanuts, and maybe a few little raisins in there or something like that. Celery with some almond butter. Um, let's see strawberries. He loves strawberries. So again, berries are good. Carrots, cucumbers, celery. Those are all good. Um, the cheese crisps or the little wisps, deviled eggs are a great lunch thing uh, if your kids like that. Pork rinds is a good option. 
Um, I love pork rinds with guacamole, but I know not every kid likes guacamole, but if your kids do, um, like my, I have one daughter that loves it and she loves to dip about anything in guacamole. So again, back to the veggies, you can dip peppers, cucumbers, carrots, jicama, broccoli, cauliflower, you know, you name it. I think I've told you guys before, I'm, I'm pretty much vegetables, just have at them, eat as many as you want to your heart's content and certainly for your kids. And though I do watch the root vegetable intake for myself, I do not worry about that with my kids. So they eat all the carrots and jicama and everything that they that they desire. Uh, ranch dressing would be another good option if they would prefer ranch dressing. The um, uh, Mark Sisson's ranch dressing, which I always want to call the um, primal blueprint dressing, but I don't think it's... Um, Oh, I can't remember. Primal Kitchen, maybe? Is it Primal Primal Kitchen? I I don't have it in front of me, and now I can't. I think it's Primal Kitchen. But they do, um, they have mayo. It's our favorite mayo. And then they have all these different dressings. But they have a... Um, They have a ranch dressing that is really super good. So that's an excellent one. And then again, berries, like my one son, I slice him up strawberries almost every lunch. He takes those, but blueberries, raspberries, cantaloupe is another low, low carb, low sugar fruit. So those are all some, some ideas. Hopefully that helps you. And then as far as dinners, I mean, they just eat whatever we're eating. Last night we had uh, hamburgers and hot dogs. So that's just what everybody ate. So, um, I had one son that puts them on lettuce. I like to make the keto, um, the fathead rolls for our, you know, I make those into like, um, almost like buns, like kind of flat buns. And then we eat our, my husband and I like our hamburgers on that. And then my kids will eat them on lettuce or on those or whatever. So it's pretty easy. That's pretty easy way to to look at dinner. So pretty much whatever you're eating, you can just make some little minimal swaps if you need to. So speaking of some little minimal swaps for dinner, um, I want to go on to the final thing that I want to talk about a little bit today. And I'm not going to get too into this, but I will put all the recipe links for what I'm talking about again, in the show notes, and I'm really going to try to figure out how to link a page on my website, which basically that means I'm going to call Derek and say, Derek, do you have any extra time today that you could do this for me? (laughs) Because I have no idea how to do this on my website. I really need to probably hire somebody to do this stuff, but like I said, there's no budget for um, for doing this as things for this podcast as of right now. So I'm trying to get the information out there to you guys, but I'm trying to do it on a low to zero cost. Um, but I will see if I can get, because I know that would be the easiest way for you guys to get links would be if I had like a podcast page that was connected to my website, you guys could just click on and then um, click on the links to each of the podcast episodes. So I'm still working on that. But this, what I wanted to talk about was actually one of my best friends, um, Julie. Uh, she gave me this idea. She actually sent me a text. I was deep in, oh my goodness, I was deep in yesterday morning, let me tell you. So I was, I was ahead in the books. You know, I'm trying to study for my NTP classes And we have, we're traveling, I'm traveling in like a week and a half to go to Washington, D.C. for my first 
um, exams and, and seminars for this class and everything. So I'm excited, but I'm also really nervous. We're going to be doing, you know, a bunch of functional evaluation and functional testing. And, you know, we've got all of our, uh, medical thing, you know, like our blood pressure cuffs and our stethoscopes and all of our, you know, testing equipment that we're going to be taking with us, this whole big NTA test kit. And so it's exciting. It's all new stuff to me. Like this is part of my practice that I've never done is never been able to do these functional evaluations. I've never gone down that road. So I'm excited to be able to do that. But I'm trying, having said that, (laughs) and I'm enjoying learning everything. I mean, even though you're in this and you, you know, you talk the talk and you kind of are in this every day. I mean, it is my career. It's my job, but I'm still learning so much. I mean, I, by no means do I even know close to all there is to know. I mean, I not even close, like I will learn every day the rest of my life, I am sure. But it's just really, it's fun to do this, but it is amazing when you're studying for this stuff and I'm making up all these flashcards and, you know, trying to go back to what it was like 20 some years ago when I was in school and trying to study for exams and midterms and do all these things. It's really interesting to make up all these note cards and and like try to get back into the swing of studying and oh my gosh. And then the interruptions are incredible. So um, it's just so hard. I, I have an office that is be, has is being remodeled. There's a bunch of remodeling work being done to the office. So I cannot work out of my office. And then I would typically just go and work like out of my river property, but it is fully booked like for the next two months. It's insane. So I can't go work out of there. So I'm forced, I can't work in my husband's temporary. He has a temporary office right now waiting on our main office to be finished. And he can't, I can't go work in that office because it's a temporary office. It's small and there's no like private office space. It's all kind of like the shared, um, open desk area. And it is so distracting. And so that's even difficult to, I can't even do that. So I have to work out of my house and that is so hard. It's so hard because as the mom and the, you know, you know, the, the, the homemaker here, I'm constantly thinking about, oh my gosh, I forgot to change over that laundry or, oh my gosh, I gotta, what was I going to do for dinner tonight? Do I, do I have everything I need? I need to make sure I put, get all that together. Or, you know, my girls come home at noon. And even if I have a nanny here on the days that, you know, that I know I'm going to be working with clients or I'm going to be trying to work on my schoolwork, even when I have a nanny here, it's super distracting to be in the house because as soon as I'm off the phone with a client, or as soon as I stop watching a, um, you know, an, an online, um, lecture or something for my class, then as soon as they hear it get quiet in here, inevitably I will have them come to the door and mom, can I ask you something? And so it's just this constant interruption and it's so hard to get back into the swing of things. You know, when you get interrupted like that, it takes, for me anyway, it takes me 10, 15 minutes to get back into a groove of what I was doing before I was interrupted. So it's been a little bit of a challenge, but anyway, yesterday I was totally into working, I had just um, had been corresponding with a couple of different clients. I had um, just set up some some new meetings. I was working on all this stuff, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna really just 
I am just diving into this one module for my NTP training, and I'm just going to really study on this for the next, you know, half hour, hour. I'm going to get these cards done. I'm just going to really work on this. So I feel like it's really ingrained in there. I was going, you know, kind of going back over some of the lectures from, from weeks ago that were related to this module. So I could kind of refresh, refresher, just doing all that. And I get a text. I mean, I literally had all these things going at once and I get a text and I was going to ignore it. And then I saw it was Julie. So I'm like, oh, okay, well, I want to look at it if it's Julie. <laughs> so, so I read her text and it was, um, it was a message about, I guess she had seen someone or, um, I don't remember the name of the person, but she, anyway, she said, Hey, this would be a good podcast subject. And it was about, um, doing keto during the holidays and trying to keep keto, keto friendly recipes and side dishes. And so I told her that's a great idea. Like I, that sounds super because I was, had not yet recorded this podcast. I had an interview I was supposed to do this morning and that interview uh, got postponed. So I thought, okay, well, this is what I wanted to do for this episode anyway with some of these listener questions. So I figured I'd just go ahead and record that. And I thought this would be a great adjunct because this will give people time to kind of plan for their holiday dinners. So without further ado, let me give you some ideas about what you can do if you are trying to figure out how to make your Thanksgiving dinner or your Christmas dinner, whatever holiday party you have coming up, keto friendly. Okay. So first of all, I don't know about you guys, but for me, the hero of the dinner to me has always been the bird. Like I, especially for Thanksgiving, I am a super big, like love a, a really well seasoned, well roasted turkey. So I typically get our turkey from a local farm here that we do a, um, a CSA with. However, this year they sold out of birds before I could get on the list. So I'm pretty disappointed about that, <laughs> but they did give me the name and number of another farm that is, um, that also has some birds that I can get a turkey from there, but I'm bummed because they are, they're just, they have the most amazing turkeys and they're just so amazing. But anyway, so I will call this other farm and I'll get my turkey that way. But, um, so the bird is the best to me. That's the best part. So I always try to make like this amazing turkey that's super juicy. And I like the skin to be like that nice, crispy, chewy skin. And yes, we absolutely eat the skin and the ketogenic lifestyle. And especially you're going to eat that skin if you have a free range bird, because they, there's so many good reasons to eat that skin and there's nothing you need to be afraid of. So I uh, love that. So this year I am going to try this bacon wrapped turkey. I don't know if you guys have seen this recipe out there or, or what, but oh my gosh, it looks so amazing. <laughs> like I can't even wait to try it. I, and apparently this recipe was put out like a few years ago and it looks so good. I can't wait to try it. I can't believe that I haven't seen this recipe before, but essentially it is the turkey that has just got this like basket weave of bacon over top of it. So it's literally cooked in a bacon like a bacon wrap. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. So it looks amazing. So I'm definitely going to do that. So I will link the recipe for that. It's, um, it's on the recipe website or the blog website is the runaway spoon. 
So I don't know if you guys have seen that or heard of that before. I never actually heard of that rest of that site. But in doing some research for how I'm going to cook my bird, I found that. And so I'm, I definitely recommend that you check that out. I will definitely link to that on the podcast notes and hopefully in my website. Then the other thing that I always look forward to at Thanksgiving is the mashed potatoes and gravy because nothing goes better, in my opinion, with an amazingly cooked turkey than some amazingly creamy mashed potatoes and gravy. But of course, if you are trying to enjoy this keto lifestyle, you're not eating mashed potatoes. However, I'm sure that you have stumbled upon the greatness of mashed cauliflower, which can be just every bit as good. And in my opinion, I actually like the flavor better because potatoes are kind of flavorless and creamy cauliflower mash is amazing. So um, this one, the the recipe I'm gonna share with you guys is from Keto Connect. So I have made this recipe before and it turns out really, really good. The one caveat is I believe in this recipe, I don't really follow the recipe anymore, but I will put this link on as well. But I think in this recipe, she has you um, boil the cauliflower. So that's fine. That is one way that you can do it. But if you, if you, um, sorry about that. This commercial on the site came up. I was trying to look up this um, to see how she tells you guys to do this. But I'm pretty sure it is... um, boiled. I don't see it on there. But the problem with boiling your cauliflower and then making a cauliflower mash, if you've done it that way before, you know that your cauliflower can be kind of runny and watery. So either um, either it'll come out that way or you need to actually kind of squeeze the water out of the cauliflower. And I hate doing that. So when I do my cauliflower to make cauliflower mash, instead of actually boiling the cauliflower, I will steam it in the microwave or steam it in a pan on the oven where you just put a little bit of water in the bottom and you steam the cauliflower and then you use it that way. Another really great way to make cauliflower mash, roasted cauliflower, so it was it was different, it was good, but definitely that works as well. So if you wanna roast the cauliflower, it gives it a whole different flavor profile. It's amazing. So I'll link that recipe on there for you, but um, definitely recommend just not boiling your cauliflower just so you're not dealing with the um, with the extra water. I would definitely roast it or steam it. Another really great kind of um, kind of traditional Thanksgiving dish for our family at least is creamed spinach. So there really isn't much you need to do with a creamed spinach recipe to make that keto, but that might be a, a really good um, side dish for you to include. Another one is au gratin Brussels sprouts. So I don't know if you've done au gratin potatoes, if that's kind of a traditional Thanksgiving dish for you guys. It's not so much for us. We do au gratin potatoes are typically more of a Christmas dinner dish for us because we like ham for at Christmas time. And um, with the ham, the au gratin potatoes go really well. So a, a good option to that is to do uh, the au gratin Brussels sprouts, which I will link that recipe. They are super, super good. Another great recipe uh, alternative to the au gratin potatoes would be au gratin cauliflower. I don't know if you've had that before, but I have made that several times at our house. I've made it for dinner parties as well, and it is always a hit, huge hit with everybody. Um, another great 
thing to do is, I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but I use turnips in place of potatoes a lot in recipes. So I will, you know, I don't make a lot of recipes that call for potatoes or root vegetables in general. I don't eat a lot of root vegetables, but like I made a stew, a keto stew the other day and I used steak and mushrooms and carrots and it called and peas and it called for potatoes. And instead of potatoes, I bought turnips and I cubed turnips and we used the turnips in the stew. And if you were, I mean, in my opinion, you really cannot tell the difference between the potato and the turnip when it's in a, a dish like that. So I have not tried doing like an au gratin turnip dish, but I am going to try that, I think, this year um, for Thanksgiving, just for something fun to try. I really have a feeling that it's going to turn out really, really good. Um, so I'm just thinking I'll thinly slice those turnips and just make it just like you would a potato au gratin. So we'll see how that goes. But again, I'll link those. Um, okay, and then of course you need a gravy to go with those um with those creamy cauliflower mash. So I will uh, link a couple of gravy recipes as well. Um, I typically do not make gravy from a recipe. I just wing it, <laughs> just make it up as I go. And I've made some pretty killer keto gravies, but I will link a couple recipes for you guys so you can try that. And then another common Thanksgiving dish, which I have never liked in my whole life is stuffing, <laughs> but I know lots and lots of people do. So I have found a few recipes for root veggie stuff, stuffing and, um, you know, some keto stuffing. So I thought that maybe those might be good. Um, they actually sounded really good to me and I don't even like stuffing, but these particular ones I thought, oh, that sounds good. So maybe that would be something good. And again, some of those use turnips as a swap. Um, and so just to give you an idea, like if you use a potato, about a cup of potato is about just a white potato is about 24 grams of carbs and a turnip for instance would be about eight grams of carbs. So it is significantly lower. It could even be a bigger deficit than that, but in general swap, swapping turnips for potatoes or really most root vegetables other than sweet potatoes, you're really going to be at like a third or a quarter the amount of carbs as you would be if you were using a potato. So then I definitely found a really great low carb pecan pie recipe that looks awesome that I will definitely put the link on the website for that one. And I know another thing that my family always likes as dessert around the holidays is any kind of bark, like chocolate bark. So you can make your own for sure by using, I like to use the Lily's chocolate, which I've talked about in here and on pretty much every social media outlet that I have about how much I love Lily's chocolates, the chocolate chips and the chocolate bars and all the awesome desserts that we make with those. But um, you can definitely make them with the Lily's chocolate and then some pecans or walnuts or almonds. And that makes a really yummy keto dessert that's very rich, very satiating. And then of course you can do, I have the peanut butter cups that I like to make. And um, then I will also link a couple of other recipes for some keto desserts that I haven't necessarily tried, but if you, um, but they come from reputable sources. So if you would like to try those, for your family gatherings, you can do that. And then just as kind of an aside, we there's a lot of dishes that you can make that are traditional for these types of um, gatherings that 
don't necessarily need any kind of swaps. They're just naturally keto, like deviled eggs. I always have deviled eggs for our big family gatherings, whether that's a picnic in the summer or Thanksgiving or Christmas. I always make deviled eggs. Those are completely keto, um, super good. I use the Primal Kitchen mayo and, um, and mustard and let's see, um, I usually use a little bit of the um, juice from one of my krauts. So whatever, um, if I have, uh, you know, what, whatever kraut I have in the refrigerator, but usually I have a, a dill flavored kraut and I really love using a little bit of that juice in the egg yolk mixture to give it kind of a little twang to the to those um, deviled eggs. So again, I don't have a recipe for my deviled eggs. I just kind of whip them together, but I will um, try to remember to link a recipe for deviled eggs. Another thing that our family really, really loves is we make green beans with ham and it's like a, a slow cook recipe my mom has been making them since I was a baby, I think. And um, my husband's mom makes them pretty much the same way. And so I just take green beans and I just, however many people I'm feeding, I will just kind of guesstimate how many green beans I need to make. And I use the canned green beans. So I put a bunch of organic cream, uh, canned green beans into a pot. I add onion, um, bacon fat. I use lots of bacon, bacon fat, leftover bacon grease. And then I will add some chunks of ham or bacon. And, the, and then I let that slow cook like as long as I can. So if we're having it for dinner and I can let that slow cook for four or five hours, I will. And then I guess another um, kind of big deal for people is the bread at these meals. So definitely there are lots of keto bread recipes out there. You could do a fermented sourdough bread, which I have never made myself, but um definitely have ambitions to do so. Maybe I'll do it for this holiday. Um, or you could just keep it simple and do some keto like cheddar biscuits. Uh, they've got some awesome recipes out there. I mean, my kind of go-to is always the keto, uh, the fathead rolls, the fathead dough. I use that to make about everything. And you can do everything from biscuits to cinnamon rolls, to pizza crust, to garlic breadsticks with those. So um, lots of options there, but I will link some recipes for some different breads and biscuits that you could do because you always need something to spread some butter on and eat alongside with that turkey and those cauliflower mash. So, all right, guys. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode and I look forward to talking to you guys next week. And hopefully, I think next week I will actually have a um, probably an interview that I will be doing. So stay tuned for that. I think you're going to really like it. And then the following week, I have another great interview that I think will come out. Um, there might be one with me and Derek in between there, but so keep your questions coming in, keep your, um, anything that you have, any podcast episodes that you want to have done that things that you're interested in hearing about. I really appreciate you sending those in. It helps me, gives me ideas on, on what you guys want to hear. And I want to put out what you guys want to hear. So, um, I appreciate every time you guys send those in. And I thank you again for all of the reviews that have been coming in. Those are super. Um, I really appreciate it. I have another one that I was going to share with you guys today. This one came in on iTunes. It is from Sand Kim. 
And Sand Kim says, a five-star review, and she says, I love, or he, I don't know, actually, (laughs) says, I love the content on this podcast. Such great information covered on health and keto, especially women's health. I love Jessica's positive, upbeat personality. Just sounds like a lovely person person with an amazing family. It's also great how she breaks down the info so it's easy to understand. Thank you. Five kids and pets. Wow. (laughs) Yes. Thank you, Sand Kim. I really appreciate that. Yes. Five kids and pets. That's right. (laughs) Some would call that crazy. (laughs) So maybe that's why I sound nice. I'm just crazy. Just kidding. I'm not crazy. (laughs) But I really appreciate that interview or that, that interview, that um, review actually is what I meant to say. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Sand, sand, it's actually sand K Kim. So thank you sand K Kim for that, um, review. And if you would like to leave me a review, I would really appreciate it. You to do it on iTunes, you have to search for keto lifestyle or Jessica Ty, and you will see the keto lifestyle podcast icon, uh, pop up. You click on that icon and, Um, then you can go to reviews and then you can hit write a review and then it will um, allow you to do that. So if you leave me a five star, I would really appreciate that. And then I have one more thing to share with you guys before I go today. I've had so many people, I mean, by far the most common thing that I have been contacted over the last few weeks about, or maybe month or more, has been about the infrared sauna that I use. So I have talked about that infrared sauna several times. I've talked about the brand that I use, or, you know, that it's a clear light sauna. I've talked about, you know, all these, you know, just kind of, um, information about the sauna and how I use it and why I like it. So um, what I wanted to uh, do though is just take a minute and give you guys the information because I have been in contact with Clearlight and they have let me know that if any of you guys want to order a Clearlight sauna, first of all, they've got a big sale going on right now for the holidays, so that's a good deal. But on top of that, they will give any listener who mentions my name that you heard it through this podcast, they will give you an additional $100 off. So according to my rep, that is about about $500 to $700 off the typical price. And that's um, just right now with their deal. And then with the extra $100 off, they're going to give you. So I just wanted to definitely make you guys aware of that and let you know. So if you're interested in the one that I have, I have the Clear Light and Fred Sauna. I have the Essential 2 model. So it is the Essential 2-person model. It is a far infrared sauna. And then I have added a bank of near infrared bulbs to that sauna so that I'm getting a, a more of a range between the far and the, and the near infrared lights because the two different... Um, wavelengths give you two, give you a different set of, um, of positive results. So there's different sets of things that they do for you. So, um, anyway, looking forward to being able to offer that to you guys. So if you want to contact, reach out and contact my rep directly, it might be the easiest way for you to get the discount, but you can just go to www.infraredsauna.com and, and infrared is I-N-F-R-A-R-E-D sauna.com. So you can go there and look at the different models. But if you would like to contact my rep directly, he his name is David Dremel and you can reach him. His direct line is 800-798-1779 extension 870. 
Again, that is David Dremel, and it is 800-798-1779, extension 870. And make sure you mention to him that you heard it on my podcast, Keto Lifestyle with Jessica Tai, and he will make sure that you get the additional $100 discount on that. And you can reach him via email if you would like. It's david at infraredsauna.com. Again, David, D-A. V-I-D at infraredsauna.com. So hopefully that helps you guys with um, any of the questions that you've been having about those saunas. And I hope that you're able to get yourself one. It is probably the best thing that, that my husband and I have done for the health of ourselves and our family. They've been awesome. We've had that sauna about two years, year and a half, two years now, and we're pretty much in it every single day. Multiple members of my family are in that sauna every single day. So it's a a really great thing. And this time of the year is my very favorite time to use it for sure, as there's nothing like getting in that nice warm sauna when it's so cold. (laughs) So Anyway, I hope that helps you guys, and I hope that you're able to take advantage of that. Okay, so that's all I have for today. Again, if you would like to get in touch with me, please do so through my website at Jessica. It's jessicatai.com. You can find me on Instagram. I'm that keto blonde, or you can send me an email. It's jessica at jessicatai.com. Or I am on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash Jessica Tai Nutrition. And thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope that you got some good information and hopefully Derek will be back next time. So I have, um, so we can share some more fun, interesting things with you guys. All right. I hope you have a great week and a great weekend and I will talk to you guys next week. Bye-bye. This episode of Keto Lifestyle is brought to you by the How Did He Know app. How Did He Know is a revolutionary app that delivers daily customized tips to help men become better husbands and partners and reap the rewards that come from happy, fulfilling relationships. For more information, visit their website at www.howdidhenow.com or download it from the App Store today for iTunes or Android. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Keto Lifestyle Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed what we shared with you today and are looking forward to the next episode. 